Hi, everyone, and welcome to a discussion of the FPGA-centric results from the 2022 Wilson Research Group Functional Verification Study. My name is Joe Hupsey, and I'm a verification product technologist and your host for today. Our featured speaker is Harry Foster, our chief scientist for verification. Now, Harry, rather than me just reading your bio, let me turn the floor over to you. Tell us about your journey. How'd you start your career? How'd you get in the EDA? Well, I started at Texas Instruments here in Dallas many years ago. And at that point in time, I was actually doing IC design. But I got interested in tool development. And from Texas Instruments, I jumped over to Convex Computer, where we were doing essentially air-cooled supercomputers, very similar to Cray-class computers. And at that point, I started focusing on designing verification tools. And Convex was required by HP, so I continued that work. The type of tools I did were like fault simulators, ATB generation, pattern generation, timing, power analysis, formal equivalence checking, and assertion tools. And then I left industry, went into EDA back in the early 2000 timeframe as chief architect at Verplex. It made a lot of sense. My research background was in assertion-based techniques and equivalence checking. And then from there, I jump over to Jasper Design Automation and ultimately ended up at Mentor, when now Mentor Siemens. Clearly, your background is a perfect fit for driving industry research, you know, verification industry research. So maybe tell me about the history of the studies, the, the Wilson Research Group studies, and maybe those that preceded them. I recall the first one goes back to over 20 years ago. If that, is that right? Yeah. The, in fact, the first one was conducted by Ron Collette International in 2002. That's 20 years ago. They conducted another one in 2004. But unfortunately, after 2004, they stopped doing these uh, studies. They're actually expensive and they're a lot of work. So in 2007, Mentor commissioned a new study based on the Colette study. And by the way, that's a pretty key point in that it was based on the Colette study. It actually used the original questions from Colette. The reason for that is we wanted to be able to show trend analysis going back to 2002. And we continue that today, even though this study has expanded and since 2002, we've been conducting these studies every two years through Wilson Research Group. Now, tell me about the makeup of this year's study. What was the geographical distribution of the participants? What kind of designs did you ask about? Which market segments are represented? That sort of thing. Sure, no problem. First of all, we had 980 qualified participants in this year's study. And what I mean by qualified, they are relevant to our industry. And then if you look at the regional distribution, we had 26% make up with some North America, 27% from Europe, 10% from India, 34% from Asia, and about 3% from others. And by the way, one thing I can do when I'm doing the analysis on the data, and I've had these requests in the past, is somebody can say, hey, just give me the data from Europe. So I'm able to actually filter down to certain regions of the world. Now, if you look at the participation by essentially the targeted implementation, we had 48% of the participants were working on FPGA projects and 52% on ASIC projects. And it, we really did cover all market segments uh, from processors, wireless, cellular, networking, consumer, automotive, aeros aerospace and defense, industrial, and so on. And this is another example where I actually can go in there and filter down to a specific market segment. Wow. Uh, so this is a Pretty big and comprehensive study. Now, let me ask, on behalf of the statisticians in the audience, what's the margin of error and what are some of the steps you took to minimize sampling errors and bias? 
If you use a confidence interval of 95%, this year's study, the margin of error works out to be plus or minus 3.7%. Now, what that really means is if I were to repeat this study 100 times, 95 of those times, I would expect similar results. However, five of those times, similar results, plus or minus the margin of error. However, five of those times, it might fall out of the confidence interval. And some years we have seen it where we suspected it uh, fell out of the confidence interval. I'll point that out as we we discuss some of the data as we go through this. But so far this year, it looks pretty good. Things we do to minimize essentially bias. uh, First of all, an invitation is sent out to participate in the study. In that invitation is a unique code that can be only used once, and that's pretty important. What we don't want is somebody who has their own personal agenda, potentially, biasing the study by passing out the study to multiple people or actually taking the study themselves multiple times. So that's one technique we use to minimize bias. The other thing is we pay close attention to the regional regional participation in the study, And if we're seeing, for example, one region of the world, we just are not getting participation we want, we go out and address that. Give you an example. In the past, when we used to have um, this downward trend in terms of participation from Japan, so we ended up translating the study into Japanese, and they had their own version of the study in that sense. And we were able to pick up participation and get it back to the levels uh, that we were expecting. So again, we pay close attention to that to eliminate regional biases. Sounds good. Sounds good. So today's focus is on FPGA-specific findings. So let me start off by asking, what are the overall drivers that you see behind growing FPGA complexity? I think the biggest driver is the explosion of requirements. And example of that is that If you went back to the 90s, late 90s, in terms of IC design, you predominantly focused on functionality. Sure, there were were other requirements you had to deal with, but not like today with higher and higher degree of integration. Today, we have not only functionality, but clocking, power, security, safety, performance, and software. Let's double click on this. So can you give me an example of specific trends within the categories that you're seeing? For example, you know, software, right? You talked about Hardware, that used to be just the whole story with FPGAs, but now software is a big part of the whole project, right? It certainly is. And in fact, talking specifically about FPGAs, we find that 65% of all FPGAs have one or more embedded processors. Now, going beyond that, we find that 43% have two or more and 4% have eight or more. And so just having one processor increases the complexity and the requirements I have to deal with. For example, the hardware-software interaction. But when you add two processes or more, then the verification effort can potentially go up exponentially. And the reason for that is that I have to deal with new requirements that are very complex. For example, if I have a shared resource, I now potentially have to deal with a coherency and arbitration. So you can see how just adding multiple processes in itself has this explosion. Absolutely. And it, this prompts another question. It was something on your list is the driver or the the requirements around uh, security and safety in a system like this, right? Oh, yeah, certainly. Uh, In fact, what we find in FPGAs is that 49% of projects basically have to implement some sort of security feature that's required, which is something else i got to go verify. And that has grown. Uh, In fact, if you went back to 2020, you saw 43%. It grew to 49% of FPGAs. That's just in security. And then if you look at safety, 
Safety, too, it continues to grow. We find that 42% of FPGAs are implementing some sort of safety feature in the design, or they're working under one of these safety standards, like DO254 for aerospace or ISO 26262 for automotive and so on. Let me cut this from a different direction. What are you seeing in terms of clocking complexity in FPGAs? So a clocking is interesting because it's actually very similar to ASIC in terms of the average number of clocking domains. Technically, it's the median in the way that we calculate it. But we find between three to four asynchronous clock domains exist on an FPGA today. Now, why is that an issue? Well, it turns out there's a class of bugs that cannot be demonstrated on an RTL model due to metastability. Now, I might be able to find it if I went to gate-level simulation with timing, but that depends on the stimulus and if the timing is accurate and so on. And this is a horrible situation in that these class of bugs, if they escape into silicon, are not easy to reproduce. They might occur maybe once a minute, once a five minutes, once a day, once a week, or, or so on. They're, they're so unpredictable and difficult to reproduce. And that's led to development and the adoption of basically these clock domain checking tools, which is very important today. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, that CDC, clock domain crossing verification, that just used to be a province of strictly ASIC design. And now it seems like it's coming into the FPGA world for sure, right? Sure is. Okay. Now, with all this growing complexity, what are you seeing in terms of verification effectiveness on the FPGA project as a whole? You know, for example, how is all this impacting the FPGA project schedule? So schedule is actually one thing we do track and something we've tracked for, like I said, for 20 years. What's interesting about the data that we track, it historically has been the same. I used to joke about this, that that two-thirds of the projects were behind schedule and the other third lie. But realistically, we'd seen for many, many years, it's roughly two-thirds of projects misschedule. It didn't matter if it was ASIC or FPGA. However, this year, what we found was that 70% of FPGA projects are missing schedule and 12% are missing by 50% or more. This is just another indication of growing complexity in the FPGA space. So it prompts another question. And, and one thing I, I'm sure we're all thinking about is that the concept of a respin. Now, that's a, obviously a big thing in the ASIC world. In the FPGA world, it's not exactly a thing, but it kind of is actually, right? When you look at um, how to organize a project and when you detect a, a showstopper bug, you're effectively doing a respin. How do you address this in your study? Yeah, absolutely. And and another thing is there's actually a cost associated with this. You're right. We don't have the notion of respin. A couple years ago, I think it was about 2014, I put together a group of basically FPGA experts. And we sat down and we were brainstorming ideas about how could we do something that was similar to respin, that we could measure essentially the effectiveness of the verification process. And what we came up with was that we decided, let's ask a question, did the FPGA project experience a non-trivial bug escape into production? The reason for that is if it's a non-trivial bug escape into production and I'm forced to go fix it, the cost can be enormous, just like a respin. For example, if I'm dealing with an aircraft and I have to go upgrade the FPGA, I take the cover off the aircraft to do that. I have to revalidate the entire aircraft, which the cost can be enormous. So what we decided, okay, let's start tracking that. 
In 2016 was the first time we actually tracked it. And what we found then was that only 23% of FPJ projects were able to go into production with no non-trivial bug escapes. However, that has gotten worse. It's now, we find that 84% of all FPJ projects go into production with non-trivial bugs. That's, that's just uh, mind-boggling. We say that again, 84, 84? 84, that only 16%, down from 23%, only 16% are able to go into production with no bugs. So we've had this decline. Another data point showing growing complexity in the FPGA space. Wow. All right. That is a unexpected finding and certainly not a positive trend uh, for our industry. So just overall, coming from an FPGA uh, design and verification background and a past life, the definitions you talk, talked about here for a respin certainly make a uh, perfect sense. Unfortunately, we're out of time for this episode, but we'll follow up in our next installment with more survey results on FPGA trends. Specifically, we'll talk more about verification effort, verification technology adoption trends, and finally, languages and methodology adoption trends. So thank you, Harry, for sharing this fantastic data. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we invite you to tune in for the next episode. <laughs>